and we're excited about where God has taken us. And we're going to start a new series today called The Generous Life. The Generous Life. So if you got your Bibles with you, let's turn over to Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. We just read this during the offering, but this is going to be the theme verse for uh, these uh, several messages on the generous life. So Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, we're going to read in the New Living first, and uh, then we'll read in the message. It says, give freely and become more wealthy. How many would like that? Don't be religious here. Just say amen. Be stingy and lose everything. Who would like that? Nobody. All right. Verse 25, because we're talking about the generous life. That's the life that God has called us to live, the generous life as believers. The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now let's look at the, in the message translation. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. But notice it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Gets larger and larger. So we're talking today about the generous life. God's way works. Everybody say, God's way works. The life that God has called us to live is a generous life. Generous in every area, not just our money but we're going to talk about money specifically for the next month and what God has to say about our money. Amen? But we see the generous life because God's way works. God's way works. So I'm excited about this. But today specifically, I want to talk about this. It is God's will to prosper you. It is God's will to prosper you. And we're going to talk about that today. And I'm going to tell you what uh, the Bible says about it. And I'm going to tell you about what God has to say about your money and finances. Because there's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible about that. So today we're talking about it is God's will to prosper you. So as we get going in this series, uh, there's a reason we said the generous life God's way works. Because a lot of us know a lot of things about money, but we don't know God's way about money. We know what our family has told us about money. We know what our friends have told us about money. The college we went to told us about money. We know what a religion and tradition has told us about money. But we need to know what God has to say about money. Because God's way works. It doesn't just work in money. It works in every area of our lives. Can you get an amen on that? When you do it God's way, it works. And it's the same with our money. When we do it God's way, it works, but we need to know what God has to say about it. That's why we're studying this on Sunday morning. So God's way works. So I I ask you to erase and be open to anything new that you might hear today and erase those old things that are in your mind, those concepts, those traditions that maybe were passed down to you through college, through friends, through family, through traditions, and realize I'm going to think about money the way that God thinks about money, not just what has been passed down to me. Because that might be right and it might be wrong. And a lot of times it's wrong what was passed down to you on your thinking about money. So God's way works. God's way works. So we're going to get into God's word and learn what he has to say about money because his way works. So the generous life. Uh, Just 
as some foundation, I want to say this. In the Bible, there is over 2,000 verses on money. It's probably the most talked about subject in the entire Bible, money. So if it wasn't important, God wouldn't have talked about it, but he did. That's one of the main reasons we should talk about money at church. 2,000 verses about money. Almost half of Jesus' parables, he talked about money. Uh, The number one reason people get divorced is money. You spend one-third of your life working for money. And then people say, well, you shouldn't talk about church. I mean, you shouldn't talk about money at church. I get uncomfortable when people talk about money at church. Why not? If anyone should talk about money, it should be the church. If anyone should talk about money, it should be, let's learn what God has to say about this more than anybody else. But people get uncomfortable when you talk about money in church. But the Bible, if we're going to be honest and teach the Bible, if there's over 2,000 verses, money's going to come up. If, if almost half of Jesus' teaching was about money, money's going to come up in church. So we need to talk about money, and we need to talk about it from a biblical perspective because we hear a lot of stuff that is not God about money. We work our, our, our one-third or 90,000 hours of our life working for money, and then we try to say it's not important when we come to church. You're not being honest. Now, this is a, a preacher's thing. If you want people to be quiet and uh, not respond in church, you talk about three things. Talk about their weight. Talk about kids. Talk about money. So hopefully in this series, let's just talk about all three. No. <laughs> We're just going to talk about money this time. I let the weight thing go in, in January, and I can change, right? Left it in January. It's a new day. But why do people get uncomfortable? Now, we're going to get down to the real nitty-gritty of the reason why people get uncomfortable about money in church. Now, I will give you this. There has been preachers and teachers in churches who have done it wrong with money. But that is like 1% out of the entire body of Christ who's done that with money. But people think about money in the wrong way. So they see TV preachers, they see churches, and they say, all they want is my money. All they're out for is my money. All they're trying to get is my money. So it makes them uncomfortable when you talk about money in church. But you're okay with Walmart and Target talking about money to you. You're okay with your job talking about money to you. You're okay with your banker talking about money with you. You're okay with the restaurant you went to talking about money with you. But why not let God talk to you about money? I'm not taking up an offering today. I already did. So now I got you. You're going to have to listen to what I have to say. But why do people get uncomfortable about money? It's because God says all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that money for most people is the issue. And is the idol that they have served more than God. That's why it says in the Gospels you can't serve God in money. didn't say you couldn't have both, but you can't serve both because Jesus knew money, resources, riches are the main thing that takes people's affection and trust away from God. 
That's why he talked about it so much from Genesis to Revelation. And that's why people get uncomfortable because it's not a issue, it's the issue. And in service, when you get uncomfortable, and I'm about to preach before I preach. In service, when you get uncomfortable, the reason you're uncomfortable is because someone's talking about the idol that's in your life. Isn't that true? The messages that you're like, yeah, you agree with and you're responding are the messages that you're already living that way. It's the messages that challenge you that you're just like, oh, I can't say anything right now. I feel like I got the wind knocked out of me. Now, why is it uncomfortable and you don't say anything? Because God, not just the preacher, God is speaking through that preacher and he's putting the finger on the issue in your life. And he's talking about the idol that you don't want to get rid of. That's why you're sensitive about it. That's why we get uncomfortable. Let's not make excuses. The reason we're uncomfortable when people talk about money in church is it reveals the idol that we have in our life. You notice people that are generous in this church respond in messages like this. Don't they? (laughs) But you know, God has a way, doesn't he, of putting his finger on the issue in your life. And that's why people get uncomfortable, because it reveals the idol that they have with money. Because money's the main thing for a lot of people. They put their trust, they put their confidence, they put their joy, they put their happiness, they put their peace, they put their stability, they put their everything into money in their career. So when you talk about it, and you reveal that, no, this is not right, and God should be number one, It makes everybody uncomfortable. But how many know we can change? Come on. We can change. So we're going to talk about money. Because God has a lot to say about it. It's the same reason why in the Gospels, you remember a guy named the rich young ruler? Doesn't even have a name. Just the rich young ruler. That's a cool name. The rich... Good-looking young ruler. Know what Jesus said to him? Jesus uh, was talking to him, and he said, Jesus, I want to come follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. And what did Jesus do? He said, okay, sell all, all you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, that's, that isn't a verse for everybody. you got to read it in context. What was he doing there? He was putting his finger on the issue. Well, you can't follow me if you're going to be keeping your money and making money your idol. So that's why Jesus told the rich young ruler, you need to get rid of all you have because it has become an idol in your life. And what does it say? He went away sorrowful because he couldn't give up the idol that was in his life, which was money. I can tell you're excited about this, right? (laughs) This is just introduction. We're not even to the main part. So we're talking about the generous life God's way works. Talking about money. So when we, when we dive into a subject like this, I want to lay some foundation, some more foundation to this a subject because a lot of us have not been taught the right things about money, so we need to go to God's Word to understand what it really means and what it really says and to read scriptures in the context that they're written in. So, let's read a verse, 2 Timothy 2.15 in the Amplified. 
Now, I'm reading this verse because this is a foundational verse for us studying the subject of money. So this is, for the context, Paul is uh, writing this letter to Timothy, who Timothy was a son in the faith. And notice what he was telling Timothy. He said, study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed. But this is the main part. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. So Paul is telling Timothy, when you teach people, you better study ahead of time because you can teach them the wrong thing and use scriptures. So he says to Timothy, you need to rightly divide the word of truth when you're preaching to other people. Because if you don't, you can wrongly divide it and you can actually hurt people. So every message you hear, even people that use scripture, doesn't mean they're necessarily preaching the right thing. That's why you need to make sure you look at your own Bible and realize, are they accurately, from the word of God, rightly dividing the word? That it's true to the context that they studied ahead of time. They're not just pulling a random verse out and just quoting it. That's not rightly dividing the word. So what happens is this. People will use scriptures and twist them to a certain way and bring destruction on themselves. Now you could just write this down. We're not going to read it. 2 Peter 3.16 says that exact thing. 2 Peter 3.16 says people will twist the scriptures to their own destruction. People can use Bible verses to hurt themselves. Notice, but that happens when we don't rightly divide the word of truth. We don't rightly divide the word of God. Now, how do you know the word of God has been rightly divided or presented accurately? It brings life to you. When you hear the word, it brings life to you. It brings peace to you. It brings joy to you. It brings uh, wholeness to you. It brings prosperity to you. When you leave the service, those are the things you're experiencing. That is somebody who has rightly divided the word. Now, how do you know if you, it's not rightly divided? When the person preaches, you're not getting life. You're getting death. You're not getting encouraged. You're getting discouraged. You're, you're not leaving full of peace. You're leaving confused. You're leaving upset. You're leaving depressed. That's somebody who has wrongly divided the word. So when we rightly divide the word, it brings life to us. But when we wrongly divide the word, it brings death. Now the reason I'm saying this is because, especially in the church world, people have wrongly divided the word and twisted it to say something it doesn't say, especially about money. And people believe the traditions and religion more than the actual word of God. And then they pass it down to the next generation. And I'm going to give you a few. Jesus was poor. That's a religious tradition passed down. But they notice what they do. They take one scripture where Jesus said, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. They take it out of context and they run with it and say Jesus was poor. That's wrongly dividing the word of God. Let me give you another one. Especially in the church world, that people think that people that have money are greedy, are evil, and are prideful. Wrongly dividing the word of God. Here's another tradition passed down to people. That they think that the Bible says if you're poor, that means you're humble and holy. 
Once again, it's a tradition, religion passed down, people wrongly dividing the word, and what has happened? It puts those people into death, into bondage. It says the destruction of the poor is their poverty. But if the preacher from the front says, God wants you poor, and you need to be poor and humble and holy, you are wrongly dividing the word and bringing people into destruction and death. I'm just giving you a few that, that people have passed down to past generations. Or uh, here's my favorite one. Uh, God, keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. Talking about the preacher. Thanks a lot, guys. Real people will really say that. God, you keep him humble, which is unscriptural because God won't do that. You have to humble yourself before God. And we'll keep him poor. Like that's an honor to keep the preacher and the church poor. Tradition. Passed down, not the Bible. And notice what they're doing. They're twisting the scriptures and it's bringing death, not life. Because when we rightly divide the word of God, it brings life. It brings health. It brings abundance. It brings what God has called us to have. Now, are you here so far? I know I'm doing some teaching, but, but stay with me here. We just need to establish this before we get into this whole series about money. Because we're going to rightly divide the word of God. When we read these scriptures, we're not going to take one out of context and run with it. We're going to read the scriptures for what it means and what it says. And when we do that, it's going to bring life to you guys. It's going to bring abundance. It's going to bring a generosity. It's going to bring prosperity to you when we rightly divide the word of God. Okay. So that was my foundation for where we're going today. Let's read John 10 and verse 10. John 10 and verse 10. Now we're talking about the generous life. God's way works, but specifically, it's God's will to prosper us. John 10 and verse 10. Now this is Jesus, who is God, speaking. It says, the thief's purpose. Who's the thief? His purpose is to steal. And kill. And destroy. And Jesus said, my purpose... Is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Now, if we only had one verse, this would be enough. Now, who wants to keep you poor? I don't think it's Jesus, it's the enemy. His purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came, he says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other translations, it says to give you life and life more abundantly. It says to give you a life that's overflowing, a life that's full, a life full of abundance. Do you hear poverty in those words at all? Do you hear barely get by? If I could just make it to heaven. God, that's what most believers act like. Coming into heaven with all sorts of arrows and sores on their body. Been beat up by the devil in poverty. If I could just make it to heaven, I'll have victory then. Religion. Tradition. Doesn't bring life, brings death. A lot of believers live that way. And they only live that way because they've been taught that way. Religion, tradition. All right, I'm getting excited. I know it's getting quiet. 
You know, when you, when you, there's a, uh, an old saying, when you shoot sacred cows, you know, it, it hurts a little bit. That's what we're dealing with. So let's read John 10 and 10. We're getting every sacred cow out of here. Religious. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's Jesus speaking. He came to give us a rich and satisfying life. And, of course, we know that's not just money. We know better than that. But money's part of it. If you're going to have a rich, satisfying life, you're going to, first of all, have a spiritual life and a life that's eternal, a life that you're going to heaven, a life that you've been reborn That starts in your spirit first, but you're going to have a life that's full of health, full of peace, full of joy, full of money to fulfill the call of God on your life. So the enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we would have life and life in abundance, rich and satisfying till it overflows in abundance. There is no way you could get poverty, barely get by out of that. Now, before we talk more about why it's God's will to prosper you, let me say this. When people attack the prosperity message, they're not attacking theology. They're attacking the nature and character of God. <clears throat> now, let me say this just so you know this. Because it's become a thing in our culture because people see stuff on TV, they take it the wrong way, they don't know what they're talking about. And so prosperity preacher has become a bad term. How does that make sense? But notice what the enemy does. He twists, his, twists people's minds. They can't even think straight that we're against somebody who's preaching prosperity. And so you see people who say, oh, well, they're just one of those prosperity preachers. Or this is my favorite, they're just one of those health and wealth preachers. Is there a problem with that? Would you want me to be a sickness and poverty preacher and defeat preacher? What kind of preacher do you want me to be? But you've heard it. The culture tries to slam that into us to make think everybody shady who believes in prosperity. But just so you know, this is a prosperity church. And I am a prosperity preacher. I don't have millions of dollars in my bank account when I'm saying that. But this is a prosperity church, and I am a prosperity preacher. I'm one of those health and wealth preachers. And this is a health and wealth church. Because Jesus was. Was Jesus not? Jesus was. He said, the thief, what has he come to do? To steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and life more abundantly. You guys act excited today. What got into you? Who gave you coffee ahead of time? But Jesus was. And he said he came to bring his life and life more abundantly. Okay, back to my point. It's not a theology issue. You're attacking the character and nature of God. When people say that it's not God's will that you can be healed, it's not God's will that you prosper, it's not God's will 
that, that you prosper and be in health. That's, that's all just preacher talk, a bunch of preachers trying to get your money on TV. You know, prosperity preachers, they're greedy. They don't know what they're talking about. That's not real life. They're attacking the character and nature of God. Who do you think God is? Are you telling me the same God we just sung about that Shelby Lynn did an amazing job every time I'm a mess? Just put me on the floor and carry me out because I'm a mess after that. Anointed, Shelby Lynn did an amazing job. The God that we just sang about who runs the universe and who runs the entire earth and who sustains everything by the power of his word, who sustains every plant, every animal, every mountain, every stream, sustains all 8 million people that are on this planet, that same God can't provide for you? How does that make sense? It doesn't. But notice religion and tradition doesn't make sense. They're attacking the character and nature of God. Who do you think God is? The God that's big enough to run the universe is not big enough to help you meet your needs? It's not... Big enough to help you pay your bills? It's not big enough to get food on the table? It's not big enough to take care of you? That doesn't even make common sense. Religion makes you crazy. So the nature and character of God, they're attacking the nature and character of God. Saying that he's not a provider. The truth is, Most people will not fight you over that Jesus is your Savior. They won't fight you over that. Because they believe it's God's will that you are saved. Now, let's take it a step further. Because it's kind of half and half on this one. Who do you believe God is? The character and nature of God. God is a healer. Now, about half and half will fight you on that. God is a healer. And it is God's will that we are healed. He paid for it. Once again, who do you think God is? But then when you go to the third one, people get very uncomfortable. God is your provider. He's your provider. But notice it all goes back to who do you think God is? The nature and character of God. And I know from the nature and character of God, God is a Savior, yes, It is His will that we are saved. God is a healer, yes. God is our protector, yes. God is our provider, yes. It is God's will. Because we believe in the fullness of the character and nature of God. And not try to dumb God down to just being a Savior. When He's provided everything that we need. Are you following me today? So don't let people try to turn it into a theology thing. It's No, you're attacking the character and nature of God, not just what I believe. You're saying he's big enough to save, but heal and provide and protect. Ah, it's a little, little much. I mean, he's just God. No, he's all those things, and it is his will that we are provided for. Okay, now we're going to get into the really good part now. You ready for this? Okay, so we're talking about it's God's will to prosper us. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know it's God's will to prosper you, you will never receive prosperity and provision in your life. 
you have to know, just like you know it's God's will to save you, and it's God's will to heal you, it is God's will to prosper you, that's when it works. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. I mean, that's pretty simple. You guys get that today? We have to know it for a fact if we think, well, maybe God could do that. I know he prospers some people, but not me. No, that's, that's not faith. No, it's God's will to prosper and provide for all of us. So I wrote down, now this isn't all the reasons why, but I just wrote down three reasons why it's God's will to prosper us. And I get excited about talking about these. The first one is God is a good father. God is a good father. Now let's read Matthew 7, 11. This is in the Passion Translation. It says, if you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask Him? God is a good Father. This verse says this. If you, being imperfect as a parent, the King James says a little stronger, if you being evil, because compared to God's goodness, you're evil. That's how much gooder, which is not a word, that God is than you are. Because compared to His goodness, even the best parents down here are evil and imperfect. If you... Being evil and imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children. How to take care of your children. How much more your heavenly Father, who's perfect and holy and righteous and completely perfect in everything He does, knows how to give good gifts to His children. And God is a good Father. He's the best Father. And what do fathers do? Fathers provide for their family. And when we're in the family of God, we have a good provider, our Heavenly Father. You know how good God is? Even the kids that are not His yet on the planet, that are under the power of the enemy, He still helps and provides for them. You know the food they're eating? He still provided for. He made the sunshine. He made the rain come down. God provides for the just and the unjust. But how many of you know he wants to really take care of his kids? Man, you guys are excited today. My goodness. God is a good father. I have a good father. Can I get amen in here? I have a good dad. I'm 30 years old. But today, if I walk in their house, I will eat anything out of their refrigerator. Which is not much. It's probably to-go boxes. But still, I will eat the to-go box. Today, if I want to, I will go to his shower. I will take his soap. I will take his shaving cream. If I'm out of stuff. Because he's a good father. And since he's a good father, what he has is mine. And I don't apologize about it. And I don't walk timidly. Dad, could I please have your soap? I take it. And then he calls me later and says, uh, did you steal my soap? Yeah, I did. Because you shouldn't have had me if you didn't want to take care of me. (laughs) 
But God is a good father. And so we can relate this to a natural father. What he has is mine. I'm 30 years old, but what he has is mine. In the same way, our heavenly father, who owns the universe, who owns everything in it, who owns this earth, who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, hello somebody, who owns the gold, the silver, everything you can imagine belongs to him. What he has is mine. Are you getting this today? I'm almost about to preach it like I feel it. I can tell today. (laughs) Isn't that true? What he has is mine. And when we're in fear about where our next meal is going to come from, how we're going to pay our bills, we're not thinking about God being our good father and our provider. We're not thinking about what he has is mine. Because he's a good father. And it says if all of us in here who are natural parents, imperfect, not perfect like God, if we want to take care of our kids, how much more God? With Natalie, if I knew that she was walking around hungry, which happens every 20 minutes, (laughs) but let's just say she was walking around hungry for some reason. She eats 25 suppers a day. It's just, just what she does. But if she was walking around hungry and dirty and her shoes were all torn up and her clothes were messed up and she looked sad, she looked depressed, she looked like she hadn't taken a bath in weeks, she didn't have anything nice to wear and it was cold outside and her clothes were all ripped up, that would not please me. That would upset me because I'm a dad. An imperfect dad, but a dad. How much more our Heavenly Father when He sees His kids struggling? When He sees His kids not being able to do what they should do because of money? How many know it hurts the heart of the Father God that we're not taking advantage of the provision that belongs to us? And what would I do? I would immediately go try to find her a bath and some new clothes, and some food, and to take care of her. And I'm just an evil, imperfect dad compared to God. How much more our Heavenly Father will give good gifts unto us? You could just write this down, but 1 Timothy 5.8 says, God speaking through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, he says, those who don't take care of their own family or their own children are worse than an unbeliever. If God would be that strong, saying if you don't even take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever, why would he do the same thing? But most people blame God for doing that all the time. God, you're not providing. God, you're not taking care of us. God is a good father. Do you hear me, church family? God is a good father. And if you parents and grandparents can give me an amen in here, you know you want to do everything you can to take care of your kids and your grandkids. How much more our Heavenly Father? Because what He has is mine. Psalm 35 and verse 27. It says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Who has pleasure, listen to this, who has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Now, the reason I'm reading this verse 
pertaining to God as a good father is this. If God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants, how much more his sons and daughters? If, if he enjoys that his servants are well taken care of, how much more his kids? Because I want every little preschooler at Grace Lutheran to be okay and to be prosperous, but I want Natalie Hope to be prosperous. Mom and dad love a lot of people, but they love me the most. And if they want anybody to really get it, they want me because I need help. Isn't that true? As a parent, isn't that true? You love you love your friends, you love other people, you want them to be okay, but you want your kids and your grandkids to prosper. Same with God. God gets pleasure. Listen to that. It's not evil. God gets pleasure in the prosperity of his sons and daughters. When you know your kids are doing good, it brings pleasure to you. When you know your grandkids are doing good, it brings pleasure to you. How much more God? How much more God? Who's a great father? Who loves us? He gets pleasure when his kids do well. You know, he gets pleasure when you guys get a new house. He gets pleasure when you get the new car. He gets pleasure when you get the new job you've been believing for. He gets pleasure when you're doing good and you're well provided for. He gets pleasure out of that. Because he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. How much more his sons and daughters. So the number one reason why God wants us to prosper is he's a good father. I'm going to go through these the next two a little bit quicker for time's sake. But number two, it's part of our redemptive rights. Part of our redemptive rights. Now, what does redemptive rights mean? When Jesus redeemed us at the cross, he paid for things for us. He paid for our salvation. He paid for our healing. But he also paid for our provision and our prosperity. And Jesus paid for it already. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, verse 9. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Notice, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now in the context, once again, of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is money. So let's be truthful to what the Bible says. He's talking about money. This is not just spiritual riches. It's tangible financial riches. So he says that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. It's a part of your redemptive rights. Now let me explain to you briefly. When he says rich, the best definition of rich in the Bible is more than enough. Because we got to be truthful to the word. Sometimes when you say rich, you're thinking certain things in your head. So you're thinking, well, I don't have that, so I'm not rich. But when the Bible says rich, it's not talking about you have a jet in a $3 million mansion in a Bentley. That's not what rich means in the Bible. 
Now, we got to be truthful, rightly divide the word. Rich just means you have more than enough. More than enough. So Jesus became poor just like he became sickness. Just like he became sin, he became poor. That through his poverty, we might be made rich. Now, if Jesus was not poor, when did that happen? At the cross. The same time Jesus paid for your sin, the same time Jesus paid for your sickness, the same time Jesus paid for your mental, uh, mental health, the same time Jesus paid for your sorrows, the same time Jesus paid for your peace and your joy and anything you would ever need, He paid for your poverty at the cross. And He became poor at that moment, so through His poverty we could be made rich or have more than enough. It's part of our redemptive rights. So we need to receive what, what brings God pleasure is when we receive what He's paid for. So it's part of our redemptive rights. As believers, He became poor that we might be made rich or have more than enough. You guys get something today? I got one more uh, thing I want to talk about. We'll close today. You guys get something today? The last thing I want to talk about why God wants you to prosper is this. And this is maybe the one I get most excited about. God wants to prosper you so you can bless others. God wants to prosper you so you can bless others. Let's read uh, Genesis 12, a 1 through 3. Now this is talking to Abraham. Abraham, who was the father of our faith. Abraham was the same man who, when he died later on in his life at a very old age, God said, Abraham was rich in all things. And God had prospered him, and God had blessed him with not just a, a long, satisfying life, but he, uh, he went to heaven with riches, with wealth. With his family. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord has said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So notice Abraham, the father of our faith. God says to him, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. God wants to prosper you so you can bless other people. God said, I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing. Because the blessing of God is never just about us. It's for other people. So God blesses you so you will be a blessing. God heals you so you will heal other people. God delivers you so you will deliver other people. God prospers you so you will help bless and prosper other people. It's never just about you. 
God loves you, but it's never just about you. And so we can get to the place where the Bible says we can give to every good work. So the blessing of God, God wants to prosper you. A lot of people will take uh, the prosperity message and take it out of context and say, well, that's just a selfish, selfish message just for you. No, the real prosperity message is never just about us. We're blessed to be a blessing. Prosperity with a purpose. Not just prosperity for us, prosperity with a purpose. God prospers you for a purpose. It's to help other people. It's to bless other people. It's to do what God has called us to do. God wants to prosper you so you can bless other people. Prosperity with a purpose. It's, um, it's interesting that the same people that are critical of people on TV that are prosperous, that are prosperity preachers. Now, I can't vouch for everybody on TV, but I know a lot of the main people that are on Christian TV on a regular basis, their churches and their ministries give more to help people than the whole body of Christ combined. But they're the same people who get criticized for being prosperous. The truth is this. The poor cannot help the poor. But the poor Christians are the ones who want to criticize the prosperity preachers when they're the ones actually doing something. I'll see you guys. How does that make sense? Because the poor cannot help the poor. It's amazing, and I find this, this funny with my generation. There's a big movement with social justice. Social justice is feeding people, clothing people, helping the down and out, helping the poor, which are right, and we should do them. But all of those people have a poverty mindset, and they can't even take care of themselves because they're still living in their parents' basements, and they're 35 years old. I'm really going on that one. Is that not the truth? So awesome, millennial. You have a great idea about social justice. You don't even have a job. And the poor cannot help the poor. And those are the same people that want to be critical of prosperity preachers. I'm preaching the truth today whether you hear it or not. Because the poor cannot help the poor. That's why God wants to bless you. It's not just about you. It's to help other people. Imagine a church that money's no option. Money's no problem. We could do whatever we want to do because we have the finances, because God has prospered us. That's what God wants every church to be on the planet. That's what the way he wants his, the body of Christ to be, his church, that we could fund anything he wants to do on the earth. And not just be a bunch of people who have great ideas, but the poor can't help the poor. Do you know that? <laughs> so I agree 100%. Now hear my heart. I agree 100% with social justice. We need to do that. We need to help people. But you can't do that with a poverty mindset. If you can't pay your own bills, you can't pay anybody else's. 
If you can't buy your own meal when we go out to eat and I have to pay for it like I have for 15 years of my life, you can laugh on that one. All right. You can't buy anybody else's meal. If you can barely buy yourself clothes, how can you help clothe people at Generation Church who need help? You can't. The poor cannot help the poor. That's why God wants to prosper. So hear me. Prosperity is not a selfish message. It's not. It's bigger than us. God prospers you to bless other people. He blesses you to be a blessing. It's prosperity with a purpose. There's a purpose to this. It's not prosperity so we can all live in mansions and drive Mercedes and and have a private jet and have gold and jewelry and just forget about everybody else. That's not what God's word says. I know that's sometimes what people portray prosperity, gospel to be, but it's not. It means that we are believers who have our needs met and we have more than enough to help other people. That's prosperity. I'm going to read one last verse uh, to you as we go. Deuteronomy 8. We're going to turn there. Start in verse 11. Did you guys get something today? I know I've been wild. I know I've been fired up, but I appreciate you guys for coming. It's God's will to prosper you. I just get excited about it, and I just want to set the record straight because I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, confusion about money and God. So Deuteronomy 8 and verse 11. Now let me give you the context of this. God is bringing God's people out of Egypt into the promised land. So God is speaking to his people about them not forgetting where they came from. So this could go for all of us in here. Well, you got a good job now. You're prosperous now. Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, prosperity, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. So God's not against prosperity. He's saying, when you go into the promised land, you're going to prosper. You're going to have abundance when you get in there, because that's my will. But this is what he says, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. Let me say something before I read this next verse. The people that are, in the promised land now, with nice houses and swimming pools and abundance on their table, they used to be slaves with nothing. And God says, hold up. <laughs> Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who prospered you. When I met you, God saying to his people, you had nothing. You were a slave in Egypt, and I delivered you and brought you out, and I healed you, and I prospered you. So once you get all this stuff, and you start prospering, and you're, you're living in abundance now, don't forget where you got it. Okay, I'm getting going here. 
who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. They were in the desert, and God brought water out of a rock. Provision. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna. He had manna, which, which means bread, fall from the sky every day to feed, God, feed God's people in the desert. I would say that's provision. That's prosperity. Even when they were in a hard place, God still provided for them. Which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and he might test you uh, to, do, to do you good in the end. Verse 17, now this is it. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. But notice verse 18 what it says. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Leave it up there. Notice what he says. For it is God who gives you the power to get wealth. The power to prosper. The power to have abundance. The power to overflow. But we're talking about prosperity with a purpose. God blesses you to bless other people. Notice what it says next. That he may establish his covenant in the earth. Or he may establish his kingdom in the earth. I've given you this wealth for a purpose. Not just for your nice house, not just for your nice car, not just for your... No, that's not it. That's part of it. But that may, he may establish his covenant or his kingdom in the earth. That God's church and God's kingdom would be funded because I gave you the power to get wealth. This wealth is not by your hand, it's by the hand of God who has blessed you and has helped you and it has a purpose and that is to fund the kingdom of God, to fund the church, to fund what God is doing, to fund missionaries to go to places where there is nobody preaching the gospel. It is to print Bibles in languages of people that don't even have a Bible in their own language. It is for people to be able to get on the internet and podcast messages and put stuff on YouTube and to print more books and to, to get the gospel in all the world. That's what it's about. Prosperity with a purpose. We're blessed to be a blessing. I don't know if you're receiving this the way that I'm saying it. I'm not upset at you. I'm just preaching this because it's strong in my heart. What could we do with a church where money is not an issue? And that's what God wants. Do you realize there's two, two point, maybe one billion believers on the planet and eight billion people? If all two billion of those people had the a revelation that God wants to prosper them, this thing would have been over a long time ago. Because the gospel would have been throughout the whole world and then the end would come. But notice most of those people think, well, God, I'll be poor for you because it means I'm holy and humble. That's why a lot of churches are unaffected. <laughs> That's why. Because religion, tradition, not God's word. 
let me repeat these three things. God is a good father. That's why he wants you to prosper. It's part of our redemptive rights. And God wants to prosper you so you can bless other people. Can I get amen today? Amen. Amen. I know it went a little bit long, but I had to say what I had to say. I wanted to help you today. Help change the way we're thinking. We're a generous people. We're going to live a generous life. And I know for sure God's way works. Father, we thank you today for your...